This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by Ben Galvin, previously the Senior Director of Omnichannel Retail Sales and Category Leadership at Constellation Brands. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Ben has been, prior to Constellation, the national account person with Founders Brewing Company and also at Anheuser-Busch. And we were just talking before the show about a point of view that you have, which is you're in digital, you're in omnichannel, but you don't have a digital background. And as far as I know, there's no like master's degree in omnichannel retail either. But we all have to be ready to empower and educate ourselves in this you know, crazy modern world of retail media and omnichannel. So I'd love to just start with a little bit of an additional color to your bio, Ben, about how you started your career and then ultimately ended up in the world of omnichannel. Yeah, great. That's exactly right. You know, somebody like myself who came into national accounts at Anheuser-Busch for about 10 years and worked on major accounts like Safeway, MPM, Circle K, and then have moved through with Founders Brewing Company and kind of that have that typical sales background, whether it's working on national accounts, regional accounts, strategic accounts. You know, digital has never really been a part of what I did on a daily basis, if you will. And as I moved into my role with Constellation, I realized that a lot of what I did as a sales individual translated not just to the importance of dealing with national accounts, but ultimately how consumers shop. It's really funny if you think about digitally native consumers turning 21 every day, it's very different than the digital immigrants from 10, 15 years ago that we were all learning more about digital as we turned 21 to buy beverage alcohol. And as I've developed my skill sets around omnichannel, over the last five and a half years, it's important that everybody touches digital in their career and in their everyday jobs. And that's one thing that I've learned, again, not coming from a digital background. I worked with wonderful individuals that have worked in digital for many years, like Sarah Master and Wayne Duan. And I've realized that even though I don't have that background, it's still a component and muscle that I need to learn because the consumer is expecting us to be more omnichannel as well as their retailer partners. So even though, again, coming from the sales side, I need to make sure that I'm upskilling myself and educating myself around the digital landscape because that's where the retailers and consumers are going. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And we're going to talk in this episode about structures and organizational structures within brands and what that looks like and how to sort of get the most from different departments ultimately. But just on that point about education, what have you found as someone who's like came into this area needed to skill up fairly quickly what have you found to be the most impactful ways to stay educated, skill up, benchmark yourself? Like what have you found in your relatively short part of your career? Yeah, you know, because this space has evolved so much, especially over the last four to five years, nobody's really written a book that is currently relevant. 
you know, if you would, it'd almost be outdated by the time it went to publish. So a lot of the things that I'm doing is having these conversations with other strategy and digital individuals, a lot of podcasting similar to yours, making sure I'm staying up to date on trends and reading articles about kind of the interests that I have around retail. And then the other thing that I've done is talking to my retailer partners. Obviously, the Walmarts, the Amazons, the Krogers, they all have a point of view on digital as well as omni-channel retail. And you can learn a lot by learning about how they're investing, where they're looking, and also spending time online. In the sales world, we spend a lot of times, quote, on store visits, going into stores, checking execution. Mm -hmm. Well, the great thing about walking your digital shelves is you can do it on your laptop from your house. And it's very important that you're taking the time to walk the digital shelves, especially for the retailers that you manage to find your products, because those are how your products are coming to life to the consumer that's shopping. And a very important component of staying up to date is not just understanding how your retail comes to life and your brands within that retail, but also making sure that you're talking with other individuals, whether it's your peer set at your company or other people in your life and saying, hey, what are you seeing and what are you kind of understanding when it comes to the digital space? Because it doesn't have to be just grocery retail, which is, again, my background being in alcohol. I find that perusing on Home Depot's user experience or obviously Best Buy is a very good education to understand in other parts of my life how digital has influenced the way that I shop or research and then may still go in a store and buy. And that's mm-hmm. all digitally influenced sales, which is just so a large component of what omnichannel retail is. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the walking the digital shelf is so important. And I spend a lot of time in the Amazon world and just the number of times Amazon just changes the UI of the app is incredible. And as a brand, you need to respond to that. So I just noticed like a week ago, oh, the search bar, which has been for the longest time at the top of the app is now at the bottom of the app which is a pretty huge change and like just suddenly appeared out of nowhere. And these little changes, they've made lots of changes to titles and things like that. There is how your competitors are showing up and how is your content showing up and things like that. But then even just having a really close pulse on the UI of these different platforms and how consumers are actually using the app and web store is really important. Without a doubt, in one of your previous podcasts with Russ Derringer, you talked about how a lot of these retailers are changing their UI, just as you explained, and then brands have to determine what investment they want to make to stay up with those changes. Mm-hmm. New enhancements, new content, new changes to title that, of course, affect the SEO. And of course, in the beverage alcohol space, like a lot of other industries, we don't have to pay for that. It's all part of the free service, but it still affects and then our sales down the line. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's just so creatively important to make sure that from a content standpoint, you're putting your best foot forward in online, just as you've always wanted to do in store for the last however many decades. Right. Well, let's dig into this topic of aligning sales and marketing orgs to prepare for an e-commerce future. So let's just start with the tip, the ways that especially larger brands are typically organized from a sales marketing e-com standpoint. From my understanding, There's like three main flavors and curious to hear your input here, which is sales-led, marketing-led, or having an e-commerce business or e-commerce, a sub-flavor of that is an e-commerce center of excellence. So I'd love to hear how you think about those different structures and different things that you've seen in various roles and from speaking with others in the industry. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think for those that are in the non-alc space that are listening to this, the three-tier e-commerce or three-tier for alcohol is similar to your wholesale business. Because of the Tidehouse laws and the three-tier system with beverage alcohol, we have what's called three-tier e-commerce. We have B2B e-commerce, which is more retail-led, and then, of course, DTC. But from an organization placement, it really has evolved due to COVID. You're exactly right. Most organizations within the beverage alcohol space have a sales organization, a marketing, and then a lot of them have stood up this kind of e-commerce center of excellence or enablement team because it ultimately helps with where the retailer adoption of these consumer-facing solutions, but also it continues to work on the emerging importance of distributor and third-party B2B platforms. And so as you think about this e-commerce center of excellence or entity that's been stood up by a lot of major organizations, it's important to realize that a lot of them have started in whether it's in a growth department or an incubation center area of the business because they've had a component of sales within them, marketing within them, of course, digital shelf and content, which usually comes out of the data side within this kind of e-commerce organization. And throughout the structure of how organizations look at sales, marketing, and now e-commerce, some organizations are weaving the sales portion of e-commerce into their sales divisions, the marketing component into the marketing divisions. But a lot of them still keep that kind of standalone center of excellence because it's important to realize that that subject matter expertise helps with the incubation of not just their thought leadership within the industry for their retailer partners, distributor partners, and so forth, But it ultimately helps with the upskilling of whether it's national accounts with maybe ENAMs as a lot of major alcohol companies. Now, these ENAMs within their national accounts department that focus on, again, the Walmarts, the Kroger's, these bigger businesses that now have a digital approach. An ENAM being an e-commerce national account manager? Exactly. An e-commerce national account manager. And one of those things is they work hand in hand. Let's just take Walmart, for example. We'll work hand in hand with that kind of omni-channel NAM that sells in programs in store, works on Action Alley. But then this eNAM would ultimately then work parallel with the Walmart.com individuals to make sure they're getting content on site, as well as making sure digital health is there. And then the last part that, again, don't want to forget within the structure of a lot of beverage alcohols is this direct-to-consumer team. Primarily more with the wine industry, but think about the wineries in California and Oregon. The DTC side of the business is still mostly focused within wine, a little bit spirits, but that is still another component that usually stands alone within the organizations. That's a little bit more hierarchy built based on the direct-to-consumer sales component. So let's talk about some of the like pros and cons of those structures. I'll just throw one out there that you mentioned Russ from Stratably. He had some interesting stats from a few months ago about whether your retail media budget was coming from a brand budget or a trade budget was going to have a big impact on whether your retail media budget was going to be cut or added to. So basically, if it came from brand, which is like typically the marketing org, then your retail media budget was pretty safe. It was coming from trade. It was a little more dicey. So that's one small little snippet, one data point that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about challenges with these structures is where does retail media budget come from? So I would love to hear a little bit more of your stories and POVs here. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation as a part of it, because if, if it, you're right, if it comes from a trade component, there's other trade aspects 
that go into it. Certain retailers, as you guys talked about on your podcast, are saying, hey, they're demanding more of the retail budget. Well, if it comes from trade, you're exactly right. It has to come from other buckets and that you have to ultimately look at those things. The other thing, too, is if media dollars come from brand, usually there's an ROI or a ROAS target attached to it. Whereas, again, if you're a sales team, you're more focused on the sales velocity component versus the ROI or ROAS. And it's important to realize that. We've gone through that at Constellation, and I know of other organizations that have had that conversation about a challenge of those traditional structures. And every company is going to be different. Every division within the companies will be. And I, and I think it's important to realize that that point of friction isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's ultimately realizing what is your goal before the money is given? Is your goal a ROAS or a ROI? That will then ultimately potentially inhibit your ability to maximize sales Or if it's coming from a trade budget standpoint, obviously the ROAS and ROI aren't as important and you're driving sales velocity, whether it's an IRI or depletions. And so that ultimately does create some friction on the budgetary components of it. But also one of the things that you can look at too, Kiri, that's very important, not just with the budgetary, is once that budgetary component is handled, it's a little bit of, hey... As an organization, we'll just take sales, for instance, is the sales organization willing and able to then be coached up to handle deploying that budget, managing that budget at retail, or do they want that kind of e-commerce team to, quote, handle it for them? So what makes the most sense for them? And it can be different for any organization, but whether they want that e-commerce or team or the individuals to just handle it and manage that budget as a side Or is there an ability then to develop across all accounts and have that upskill? And to me, it's always been more important to upskill and empower the individuals that are now in charge of these accounts so they understand how their total budget is being spent, not just retail media, but trade marketing and so forth. And again, because of that being a challenge of the origination of funds, sometimes you have those differences of opinion on how you're measuring success. That's great. I'm just making a note because I think that that might be the quote of the episode, although we're not done yet. So there might be some more quotable Ben Galvin quotes here. (laughs) So how about the new breed of online retailers, marketplaces? What do they expect from brands that might be different to a typical sales organization? Like how has Instacart, for example, changed the way that BevAlk, but also like other CPG brands, how has that sort of become an inflection point for brands to actually modify their organization to suit the Instacarts and other retail marketplaces? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing to note is that chains continue to demand uniform omni-channel marketing to capture their consumer retention, how and where they're shopping. Whether you're a small regional chain like Stater Brothers in Southern California or you're Kroger, they continue to push the envelope with their brands. And within the beverage alcohol space, it's really important to realize this kind of new breed, as you say, of online retailers and marketplaces can really be looked at very differently because in the beverage alcohol world, we have what's called Tide House Laws. And it ultimately said that we cannot pay a retailer who holds liquor license for any types of advertising and so forth. It's amazing that the alcohol industry is the only industry that has won, not one, but Hmm. two amendments in the U.S. Constitution. And about a decade from now, we'll ultimately celebrate, if you will, a century since the repeal of prohibition. And because of that, 
the Instacarts, the Ubers, the Grubhubs, if you will, don't have liquor licenses. So when you talk a lot about retail media and this kind of emergence of online, that's been where a lot of alcohol brands have, Drizzly, of course, included, have been gravitating to spend retail media dollars because those marketplaces are really kind of like the kayak of the travel industry. They have this food court of retailers that are available to you. And because there's no revenue sharing back with those retailers, they have their own retail media network, as you mentioned earlier, whereas the retailers themselves, uh, the Walmarts, the Amazons, and so forth, we still participate and, of course, call on a lot of them. But there's so many components of their retail media network that we cannot participate in and participate around the advertising on their website. However, we've been utilizing the leverage of their data. And to answer your question of how the structure has, the alcohol industry as a whole especially has really made sure that we're organizing ourselves around the digital first interaction. As the consumers continue to go online, again, whether it's a marketplace or a retailer, brands want to ensure that this new muscle for the commercial side of organizations has the acumen necessary to be effective. And that's been a unique example of what we've seen with this new breed of online retailers because it's that true blend, as you mentioned earlier, of media dollars versus trade dollars and how that can be spent, again, very differently within the retail world. But within Mm. these third-party marketplaces, it absolutely is something that all brands are trying to rectify for. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the various structures of brands and organizing sales, marketing, e-com, is e-com embedded within sales and marketing? Is there a separate team? Is there a center of excellence? Just curious about your personal opinion, not the opinion of any of your present, past or future employers, but what do you think is really one of the better models for brands to consider? Yeah, within the beverage alcohol space, I personally still believe it's very important to have that enablement team have that group that's a subject matter expert for the organization. If you think about most retailers, and Rabobank has wrote a lot about this with the retailer scaling up of digital within the space, especially for perimeter categories, dairy, bread, produce, of course, alcohol plays within that. We're still really in the early days. COVID has certainly accelerated, probably brought the future forward seven to 10 years especially for the alcohol industry. But if you look at the overall space, alcohol, Rabobank reported last year that it still only makes up about 4% of total US alcohol, online sales versus in-store. And that's about $3 billion. So it still lags that center store category. And that enablement team or that subject matter expert group can still look to educate and empower an entire organization. And I believe that being in the early days of this, it ultimately helps to breed more individuals that are interested in this space to learn more for their career professionally and personally versus having this kind of woven in the organization and you don't really know who to call or who to go to when these questions or opportunities arise just because you don't have that kind of shift into, hey, a subject matter expert of an enablement team, similar to what an organization would have for insights or innovation or so forth. Okay. So in this case, what about accountability? Who is accountable for results in this model? Yeah. So in that model, obviously, you have these divisions within, of course, the enablement team around sales and marketing, digital shelf and other things. 
See, the accountability does fall within those individuals. I'll give a perfect example is if you looked at all of this emergence of retail media within the beverage alcohol space, it's been fascinating to learn because you have all these new brand tactics that retail media can be deployed against around media and marketing. Again, lower funnel marketing within these retail media networks or obviously the third-party marketplaces. And what we have found is that the traditional marketing and media individuals who now receive this data back, like obviously impressions, click-through rates, and other things, they're not sure what to do then with retail sales. Because from these, like Instacart, you can get attributable sales, you can get a lifetime value, you can get other types of sales-led metrics that they don't quite understand. And by ultimately then having that e-commerce enablement organization that can understand both, the accountability sits there for the entire organization. So you're then measuring, monitoring, and as well driving growth for the whole company, but then ultimately communicating that back out to the organization in a way that helps them to better understand the importance of what you're doing. But the accountability then lends back to, in this case, what people see as the subject matter experts. Got it. And so what are some of the challenges with this model and things brands really need to think through if they're looking to build this out? Yeah, I mean, you certainly think of it, a lot of things can throw a wrench into what these things are looking to try and do. And I think it's important to realize in every organization, it's going to be a little bit different. But what is the most kind of consumer led portion of what your organization is looking to achieve? I think it's important that they develop around the needs that their company has to determine growth. And what I mean by that is you have a lot of tendencies for organizations just to invest in digital because it's a hot topic and they want to make sure that they have this digital expert. But what is that individual's ultimately goal? Is it to drive marketing measurement as well as upstream content, whether it's in-store content, matching online content, is it digital shelf health, or is it ultimately working? And we've talked a lot about the third-party marketplaces the digital first retailers like GoPuff or Amazon or FreshDirect in New York City, ultimately setting that stage of, hey, what are our goals for our digitally first team members? And then how can we translate that back to our retail sales teams, our marketers, our media teams? And as organizations look to put people in place, they want to make sure that they're identifying the skill sets necessary that then empowers everyone. And I'll give an example. So we talked a little bit about those e-commerce names earlier that a lot of organizations have been deploying. And a lot of them are digitally curious national accounts individuals, no different than I was five and a half years ago. And really the importance of the large organizations putting them in place is they can be as close to their biggest and largest and most important retail partners, the Walmarts, 7-Elevens, Kroger's, but they can ultimately ensure they have a digital perspective of what those retailers are doing, in addition to their NAMs who manage maybe the inventory in store, the programming, the sell-ins, a lot of those types of things. That can ultimately bring a direct ROI to your organization because it shows that you're not only covering the Walmart in-store execution, for instance, but also the walmart.com. So it's really important that the organizations, when they put people in place or they're looking to design a team, they have the skill sets necessary on their roadmap against where their growth trajectory needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would add to that, having the right KPIs and metrics as well that are suitable for the goals of the company or the brand or the product line or whatnot. And for each team to have goals and KPIs that are suitable for their role in customer acquisition. Absolutely. And I think that's quantitatively and qualitative. You're exactly right. 
three or four years ago, we couldn't run e-commerce sales in IRI or Nielsen. And they've certainly come along. And now we can start to kind of put together the scope of the landscape as retailers are buying into what IRI and Nielsen are putting together. But you're right, quantitative and attainable KPIs that can be measured are so important in this space, especially in alcohol, which we can't pay Amazon for their data. We can't pay Walmart for their data, those types of things. We're dependent on them, of course, selling it. And then, of course, breaking out online versus in-store in IRI. And that's been a little bit of wobbly over the last few years. So again, in the infancy of alcohol, it prevents us from getting too much access, but that's we're utilizing components of their advertising services and the data that they're providing to leverage back to their media platforms, again, in more of a shared services or part JBP structure. Mm-hmm. And one more question on this. So I'm a partner at a agency and we help brands with Amazon and Instacart and Walmart and retail media and other things. From a partner standpoint, where do you see those partners if a brand chooses to engage with partners? Who engages with those in that center of excellence model? Is it the center of excellence folks or is it the sales team? Where does that usually sit? Yeah, so I think it's important to realize that any size of the company, big or small, it's all around the individuals that you have and the skills that they have. So most of the time, it's that e-commerce enablement team, maybe a marketing individual that's embedded in there that would engage with the third-party marketplaces and ultimately represent the entire company. You know, one thing, we'll just take Instacart, for example. If you ultimately turned over an Instacart relationship to the National Accounts Organization, you'd have multiple people with their hands in the air, all trying to do things for their respective accounts. And so it's really important, again, centralize the decision-making on behalf of the company. So it almost creates a democratic society against calling on Instacart and helps to democratize what you're trying to do with them to grow your brands. And I also believe that these marketplaces recognize that with a lot of not just alcohol, but total brands in general. So that kind of e-commerce led individual can then represent all brands, all accounts, because those retailers that are on Instacart and so forth, they don't get preferential treatment when it comes to the alcohol industry. When you participate in the retail media programming for Instacart within beverage alcohol, it's agnostic across all the states they can legally run their media and all retailers within those states, unless they opt out. So there's no targeted media, there's no targeted aspect around doing that. And so it's important to make sure that you have that kind of center of excellence run that. When it comes to the retail side, you mentioned Amazon. Since Amazon owns liquor licenses, Amazon should be treated just like a Walmart or a Kroger. And we cannot unfortunately participate in all aspects of Amazon ads or even Rondell with Target. But it's important then to have a sales team calling on Amazon to work with them, just like you would any other national account, selling in new items, working through that, but making sure that you kind of have a marketing liaison within your team that can help with any types of other, whether it's digital content health or some of the activities that you can participate with in Amazon to ensure that you're optimizing as much as you can, knowing that the traffic for research is going to Amazon so frequently, even though they may walk into the local publics in Southern Florida, they'll still maybe start their search on Amazon. Right. Gotcha. Okay. 
And so like any solution providers that you're engaging sort of follow that structure. Exactly. And that's one of the things as you look at that structure, that makes the most sense for, again, growing your entire portfolio across, whether it's the conglomerate of retailers that are on the marketplaces or these kind of digital first retailers. Because again, due to the Tidehouse Laws component, it's very important to realize that it's making sure that you want to build as many lower funnel media strategies as possible to create as much call to action to those retailers, but making sure, of course, you play within the legal ramifications if they own the liquor license or if they don't. And that's one reason you don't see any beer or any other advertising on Amazon's Thursday night football, because Mm. they own liquor licenses and they cannot participate in that type of pay to play strategy for advertising with alcohol. Yeah, got it. So one final question for you here, Ben, putting the actual structure and hierarchy aside, regardless of how a company is organized in this way, what can ambitious e-com leaders and doers do to actually like break down silos and get things done? And I'd love you to talk about some practical things you have either done or seen work really well in your past roles. Yeah, it all starts with storytelling. You know, in all of our careers, no matter what you've done, it's if you can tell a good story and obviously get people engaged, it really starts there. It's so important to be able to relate a digital perspective to your peers' daily and weekly tasks to get their job done. As I mentioned earlier, everyone can touch digital in their jobs that they do. It's just recognizing and developing that skill set. And you want to think about as those consumers continue to engage in your brand, you want to make sure then you have the empathy back towards the easiest consumer experience to be able to find your brand, learn about it, and then, of course, convert to purchase. And having that empathy, especially with internal integration and planning, forecasting, employee development, it takes time. This is not something that's going to develop overnight within the beverage alcohol space, as I mentioned. um, This is still very much in its infancy. But weaving digital thinking and planning into trade marketing, marketing and media, commercial sales, even finance and forecasting can really help to organize an organization and the individuals within it to start to think more towards, again, how the consumer thinks, that omni-channel experience. And then lastly, and one of the things that we talked a lot about at Constellation is start with the in-store experience. We've talked a lot about Walmart and Kroger and so forth. And the easy and most important thing to remember is if you're shopping on walmart.com, that product originates from the store. So again, starting with that in-store experience, inventory, product availability, in-store ultimately helps with your digital, of course, sales as well as presence, because if it's not online, available, and in stock, the consumer can't buy it. And Omnichannel is all around that high-quality consumer experience that occurs within and between contact channels for that brand, and that uniformity is key. And I think in all aspects of e-commerce leaders, it's making sure that you look at your consumer base and you look at the individuals that are working with your national chains, your marketing department, and say, hey, look, it all starts with storytelling, having the empathy towards Mm. your peers, as well as the retailers that are building this business out. And of course, that in-store experience, which originates a lot of the product that you purchase, even though you may buy it online. Ben Galvin. Thank you so much. Lots of great insights here. Really appreciate your time. And where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can reach out to me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please shoot me a note there. I'd love to connect with anyone who's looking to have a 15 minute chat or if there's opportunities that they see out there, I'd love to have a conversation. So please find me on LinkedIn and we can connect there. 
Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Have a great day.